With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Look around you. Say hello to your competition. Eight of you will switch to an easier specialty. Five of you will crack under the pressure. Two of you will be asked to leave. This is your starting line. This is your arena. And half of you will die. <laughs> not, not, not make it past the first three seasons. You know, they always talk about like the glee curse. And then watching this, I really started thinking about like the Grey's Anatomy curse, obviously a little less morbid than the Glee curses, but you know, all of them just basically got one by one picked off until, you know, Ellen Pompeo was the only one left. It's wild. I know. I mean, we had some of them like Justin Chambers, who wasn't even in the pilot originally, which we'll get to. Um, who survived pretty far into the show. But the fact that of these beginning interns, it's just Meredith. It's kind of shocking. You feel like you're watching like a graveyard. Yeah, it's like the longest season of Survivor ever. (laughs) Well, we should probably get into what we're talking about today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to TV Watch Repeat, a podcast brought to you by The Dip. We are two TV lovers who are set to revisit some of the most iconic, memorable, and frankly traumatizing TV pilots of all time. I'm Allison, and I am joined by Kate. Hi, I'm Kate. And today we were talking about the 2005 pilot of Grey's Anatomy. And as we said, it's traumatizing because all of these people are either dead or missing or just got booted, got the boot from Shonda. And also I want to name at the, at the top of this, name some of the sources that I uh, went through and I'm sure um, you have some to add too, but just to get that out of the way. So some of the research that we did today was from the New York Times, uh, Chicago Tribune, uh, Entertainment Weekly, The Wrap, and Oprah Magazine, all of which did a lot of uh, great stories around the time of the release in 2005 of this pilot. So just a hat tip to them. But uh, moving on to the actual show itself, you know, I, I will say that I am, was an early, early fan of Grey's Anatomy, but I do have to admit that I dropped off at about season three, I believe. Whenever Denny dies is when I decided that that's, that's it for me. Um, I tend to not love shows that, you know, I label emotionally manipulative and that they are trying to make me cry. Uh, that said, looking back now, wow, this is a great show and I kind of want to rewatch it all again. No, you're going to fall. You're falling for it. I mean, I think it's telling that you only survived three seasons and you're like considering jumping back in. I, I, I did a full rewatch. Well, I actually had never seen it. I, I just knew it culturally, um, and kept up with, you know, the memes and the deaths. And I was always one to read a Buzzfeed listicle of the most traumatizing deaths on Grey's Anatomy, if, even if it meant nothing to me. Um, I saw up until the season after Derek, we're good with spoilers, right? Like, I mean, this whole podcast, if you haven't watched Grey's Anatomy, like, sorry, you're t- <laughs> we do not, we do not you care at the this first point. few minutes. They're all gone. They're well, all that's dead. crazy about this too, is that, you know, as, as a fan early on, I know all of them and their characters so well. And now when I read about Grey's Anatomy, you know, even like today reading about Tom, who's Tom? Like, is Tom young? Is he old? Is he somebody that... Meredith is with or not with who is her dad I don't know so it's like oh my a, god her dad I don't know I, I, her I did dad not see a photo of him 
But it's like a full circle thing now where it's just like every everything is new except for the one constant, which is Meredith Grey because she's a title character and good thing she's getting the money she deserves, uh, Ellen Pompeo, because she stuck it out through a lot. But before we get to the drama, we probably should start at the very beginning and talk about, you know, kind of the genesis of the show. And I think you can't talk about the genesis of the show without talking about, of course, the creator, Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, I mean, Shonda Rhimes has... It's funny when you read reviews of of the pilot because people kind of talk about this show and Shonda Rhimes as like one. They are one. They're one. And and but at the same time, like back in two thousand five, you didn't have Shonda Thursdays on ABC, like TGIT, and it became what it became is so big considering what it was when it started. When people were like Slate said, Grays will need a defibrillator paddle applied to its thorax stat if it hopes to survive season one, Oof. which is so cringy to read because like, because it got much because more of what than it that. Became. It's, it has like an afterlife <laughs> and everything. But I mean, that's a crazy thing is that you know, even you see that uh, Oprah talked about this with Sean that in one of the early interviews about how much attention the writer was getting, which never really happens. But it really was something that even when you watch it now, there's so much of a uh, thumbprint on on this that you you feel like it's it's definitely it has a sensibility. It has you know uh, it has something about it that's not necessarily just brought to life by the the actors, but the writers themselves. Only six women out of twenty. Yeah, I hear one of them's a model. Seriously, that's going to help with the respect thing. You're Christina, right? Monroe, Monroe, Monroe. 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 And considering, you know, the the humble beginnings where, you know, Shonda came from, where, you know, she started her life, uh, one of the things she did was a candy striper. And so she had a really good perception of hospitals and loved it. And, you know, she went to USC for film, was following this path. And then she actually almost quit because she wasn't getting any opportunities. And she wanted to then go and enroll into medical school to become a doctor. So, but around that same time, she did sell a script called Human Seeking Same, which is about a couple that fell in love via personal ads um, and never actually made it to air. But what did make it to air were her projects afterwards, which was the Dorothy Dandridge uh, script for the HBO adaptation. And of course, fill in the blank, Allison. What? Shonda's like, okay, Grey's Anatomy was big, but this was bigger. What? Crossroads. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why I did not put that together at all. Of course it's Crossroads. It's it's the pinnacle of of, you know, film from the early 2000s. It's Britney Spears's, you know, high. She's really an underachiever, Shonda Rhimes, like doing, you know, trying to make it in Hollywood and then being like, I guess I'll just go to medical school. (laughs) Right. Like I have no other options. So maybe that, but that's because she was really interested in medicine as a concept. And she said that she and her friends would, I mean, she she and her sisters would watch Discovery Channel and kind of see people doing these operations and talking about their boyfriends while they're doing these huge scale operations on people trying to save lives. And then, you know, upon also hearing that, you know, a doctor once was complaining about where to shave their legs in the the doc, in the um, hospital shower. It kind of sparked something in her of like, why not take my obsession with medicine and kind of infuse this great um, personality into it that just showcasing some of the finer, small details of the hospital life that nobody really talks about on shows that were really big at that time, like, you know, medical investigation, ER, like ER, and everything. And I, it's interesting because, um, Grey's Anatomy, when you read the reviews and you read the industry chatter about it when it premiered, it does get a lot of comparisons to shows like ER, which did in in a way have a lot of personal 
aspects to it. But because Grey's Anatomy premiered on a Sunday after Desperate Housewives, it also kind of leaned, a lot of the, the conversation was it leaning into the personal lives of the doctors, which I think obviously was a very important thing for Shonda Rhimes to touch on because it is, I mean, at the end of the day, is what propelled the show to be on season 17 because it is following the lives of these people and the and the medicine is kind of playing in the background the entire time. Yeah, it's not just like every week, what is it? It's lupus, like, you know, House was. And, you know, she also got compared quite a bit to Sex in the City. Yeah. Which, like, one of her Is that projects- just because of the voiceover? I think it's a little bit of the voiceover. It's also, this was, you know, what, two years or no, no, no. Was this around Sex and the City's finale? I can't remember the yeah. exact year, but it was like around the time where everyone was sort of looking for that next replacement. You had like Lipstick Jungle and mm-hmm. you know, all these other things. And so now, you know, here came something that was set in a hospital that seemed to have more of a, you know, she wakes up in the morning after a one night stand and she rushes into the hospital. Like it has some elements that make you kind of feel like, oh, like this has, like it feels like quirky and has one liners. So I kind of see that. The game. They say a person either has what it takes to play or they don't. My mother was one of the greats. Me, on the other hand, I'm kind of screwed. And, um, and you know, the, the project she was also going to do right before this, which I wondered how that would, that might feel more sex in the city too, because it was about four women who were female war correspondents. And then eventually they had to cancel that because of the situation in Iraq and it seemed like insensitive and everything. So she went down this path, which obviously I think, um, had a little bit more longevity. It is interesting because the pilot, I did think tonally was, is very different than what the show became. Uh, And I do see the elements of, I mean, I don't, I I think the voiceover is kind of like the cheap shot of why this is being compared to Sex in the City, but it is a lot more, I don't want to say flippant, but there's some like levity to the pilot that I don't think necessarily stuck through the whole like throughout the 17 seasons that we've seen since or some of us have seen since um and I think that's why I hopped off because I think it lost you're you're like this isn't the sitcom I love (laughs) yeah well yeah I mean like it didn't feel like a sitcom though it felt like it was something that you know it was rooted in something serious but at the same time it was also very relatable and and kind of like bringing you to the same level as these surgeons that you never would consider yourself to be able to relate to Mm -hmm. and so I don't know like once it started to become like the tragedy of the week yeah started to become like, you know, like they would bring somebody in and like, oh, it's just this really happy young couple that just can't wait to live their lives. And it's like, well, one of them's going to die. Like that's definitely going to be one of them's going to die. It's probably going to be the one that's not in the hospital for that reason. It's going to be the other one. And I just like, I couldn't take that after a while. Yeah. And I get it. I mean, the pilot is, I, I mean, I said it feels almost unrecognizable to what it is because it has like this energy of, I mean, even down to the music that they were using, the score was like a poppier I mean it had some life to it and and it wasn't like a constant like resuscitator beep 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 in the background like there was some like actual like excitement and enthusiasm Katie Bryce 15 year old female new on set seizures intermittent for the past week IV lost in roof started grandma seizing as we descended alright get on the side is it 10 milligrams diazepam I am no, no, the white lead is on the right. Righty, whitey, smoke over fire. A large bore IV, don't let the blood hemolyze. Let's go. And you also see it with like the babies that were the interns at the time. Like they just have, they, like now you see them or you see Meredith at least. And you're just like, wow, you've seen some shit. And you're no longer like, you're no longer like even phased by any darkness that comes. Well, do you know how Ellen Pompeo got the part? I do. Well, I think I do. <laughs> I still often ask you questions and we come up with different answers. So let's, let's see. see. So um, I read that Ellen Pompeo was actually originally going to be in a show called Secret Service, which sounds fascinating. And I'm already in from just those two words. Like I assume that she's a Secret Service agent. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, uh, 
it never got picked up the pilot. So she went on to Grey's Anatomy, which makes it sound like she, this was like her second pick. And like, by God, was that like a great backup to have Grey's Anatomy? Well, the way it was phrased was that ABC had promised her another role. Basically, this didn't get picked up. And they're like, Ellen, don't worry. We got something else for you eventually. Just hang tight. And so she fell into this. And then, of course, you know, Shonda Rhimes says that she always was thinking about Ellen for the role, which, you know. What was Ellen doing? Because I was pretty young during, like, the beginning of Grey's, not to just, like, always talk about my age. But what was she, like, known for prior to? Because this was certainly, it was old school. Okay. Yeah, that was her biggest role for sure. Yeah, because like that's what it feel I like when you're reading through like a lot of the um the stories at the time of the pilot when they're talking about these these actors, it's pretty great to see what they are known for. Um it just like I just love that genesis. It's like if you if you like applied for a job and didn't get it and then well, like it's the ultimate they were like, we'll keep your resume on file. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden like Jeff Bezos is like, Hey, do you want to start a company with me? And then you're like, Great. And then there you go. I mean, that's basically what happened with her. It is interesting too when you look at like all of the cast members who not only like the I mean the cast members that were, I think we need to just talk about the biggest one, which is fill in the blank Kate. <laughs> The biggest cast member? That almost was. Oh. Um, Paul Adelstein? <laughs> that would be a deep cut for you. I, I love Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, but, you know. No. Um, I was actually thinking of Rob Lowe. Is, oh, I didn't see is, that one. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I feel I need to take a moment. Just, like, pat myself on the back that I, <laughs> I got you with a factoid. Um Rob Lowe was actually offered the role of McDreamy. Um, and he turned it down for something called Dr. Vegas, which I'm not familiar with. Yeah, Dr. Um, Vegas was short-lived and yeah, it was canceled impressive. after one season. And he wrote in his memoir uh that he probably like walked away from a $70 million paycheck. Um, fascinating. Although I would argue that that afforded him the opportunity to do more creative work like Parks and Rec, which I always loved. And his Scott Peterson. And and uh, and Scott Peterson, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, somebody had to play that role and he was born for it. Um, but yeah, I actually can't picture him as McDreamy. And I don't mean that just because I can picture Patrick Dempsey, but I just, I have a tough time picturing him as like, and I, and I know this is probably like sacrilegious considering he has played the heartthrob in a lot. Of, I just can't picture it. Like, I mean, I understand Rob Lowe as more of a McDreamy. I like, honestly will say, I mean, it's every, everybody's got a type, but I've never really seen Patrick Dempsey as oh I think he's so charming in this like I don't I'm not like oh my god Patrick Dempsey is like it for me but I just think he's so charming in it and it's 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 like but I mean also we didn't even the pilot doesn't even get into like the Addison of it all but I mean it's he's pretty charming like if I met Patrick Dempsey at this age in a bar I would be like hey (laughs) well you're not alone because the reason he has the name McDreamy is because when he came in to film the first episode all the writers were calling him Patrick McDreamy and then it just sort of stuck kind of similar to like I guess uh Shonda's assistant used with JJ once and then that's sort of what ended up coming in script yeah so it just was like a little like she just listens to people in her life and then incorporates them or plagiarizes them into scripts but uh, another, there. another person who almost played uh, McDreamy was Isaiah Washington. Yeah. He was actually the original thought for, for that role, but then read for Burke. But the, I don't really have any other like casting fun facts besides Sandra Oh originally also read for Bailey's Bailey. part. Yeah. But, I, mean, I, I think, think she would have crushed it. But... And it just goes, it goes to show for like all, like the way that Shonda cast everything, which was so groundbreaking at the time. And that's the thing that really struck me when I was looking through all of the um, reviews and and articles about Grey's Anatomy back from 2005. Every single one was just so struck by the fact that there were, you know, many different races and many different, you know, people in one room and they were doing something that was not talking about race, which I thought was fascinating that like, that's how 
you know, far back we were at the time that like, if you had a black person or an Asian person or whatever, the only reason for their existence was to talk about their identity instead of just existing in a very human way. And -hmm. I thought it was actually fascinating reading about what Shonda's take on that was, which was, you know, if you only have one black person on your show or only, you know, one Asian person or whatever, you have, you have to make that person a good person because there's all this pressure, but now being able to incorporate all different types of people in her shows, she can give them personalities that are not that flattering that help move the storyline forward. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's a smart way of casting. That's it's crazy to me that this was so, new and revelatory back in 2005, even though I lived it, I, I saw like, I, I'm sure, you know, I read those, those conversations and it did feel groundbreaking, but you know, in 2020, it doesn't feel that groundbreaking and it shouldn't feel groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, I agree. And I, I, I think that something that Shonda had said too, was that she really wanted to explore interracial couples on the show too. Um, which is, I think why originally, Meredith was supposed to be coupled up with um, Isaiah, Washington. Isaiah Washington. And thank when God she was they being compared for him as, Can you can you imagine if I mean that would have blew, blown the show been a up after with all the drama? Oh, and then uh, you know I also thought it was interesting too what Sandra O oh would say about how you know people would tell her how they always thought of you know, Christina, that, that's, you know, it was a white character, you know, it's surprising to see Sandra Oh in it. And, you know, her response to that was the reason we sustain these stereotypes is that we never have more than three lines. So the audience doesn't get to know us better. And, you know, thank God she has more than three lines in this because she is the best part of it. And rewatching it, I'm like, mm-hmm. I really wish that this was Christina's anatomy. She's a resident. I have attendings hitting me. You know, Meredith is inbred. I guess I'm coming around here to be a doctor's parent. No, doctors. royally inbred. Her mother is Alice Gray. Shut up, the Alice Gray. Yeah. Who's Alice Gray? Alice. <laughs> the Gray okay. method? Where'd you go to med school? Mexico? She was one of the first big chick surgeons. I mean, she practically invented the abdominal. She's a living surgery. legend. Yeah, she won the Harper Avery twice. So I didn't. Well, it's funny you say that because in like all of the reviews at the time, everyone was saying that that Sandra was the standout. So just a couple quotes was New York Times said that Miss O steals every scene as Christina cynical and so crudely ambitious she appalls even her hardened superiors. LA Times said O doesn't overplay this. She's so darkly alive in the role. I found myself wanting the show to be about her character, not Meredith. The scene Um, with her and Meredith when they're trying to figure out the reason for the beauty queen's problem and Christina is saying, no, tell me why you don't want to do the surgery. Tell me why you don't want to do the surgery with McDreamy. And and then she finally reveals it. I have anoxia, chronic renal failure, or acidosis. It's not a tumor because her CT is clean. Are you serious? You're not going to tell me why you won't walk with Shepard? No. What about infection? No, um, there's no white count. She has no CT lesions, no fevers, nothing in her spinal tap. Just tell me. You can't comment, make a face, or react in any way. We had sex. What about an aneurysm? No blood on the CT, no headaches. The look on Christina's face is hilarious. And the way she reacts to it, it's just, and there's nothing. It looks like nothing's registering, but the way she's able to play it, she plays it so well. And I don't know, Mm -hmm. she's just so good in this. And, you know, tell me, because I didn't stick around, why Christina didn't die, right? No. So she just left. And why did she leave? She was burned out or something? Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Christina Yang does not get burnt out. How dare you, first of all. Second of all, no, she basically, I mean, and what's so fascinating is the pilot mentions the Harper Avery Award. Um, Christina mentions it. So for those that watch have watched all of it, you know how important the Harper Avery Award is for Christina. And it got to the point where she was just being limited at at what eventually becomes Grace Sloan. Do you know why, Kate? No, I have no idea. I don't even know those characters. Well, for um, a long time, I still think it's Seattle Grace. It blew I, me yeah, I remember away when, when it was, I found out it was Grace Sloan. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm about to blow your mind with what I'm going to say. But so she actually leaves and goes to Zurich, Switzerland to work with Burke, who who has left prior to that. Um mm-hmm. 
to kind of become the to become the the doctor that she was supposed to be. And why and why does over. Burke leave? Like what what what's their excuse for kicking him off? Um, I think it's it's shortly after him and Christina uh, don't go through with their marriage and there is, you know, some, some tension there. And I think at the end of the day, he, he realizes that he gets this opportunity and he needs to take it. And, and I mean, this is like him running a hospital. Uh, so it, it's, it's hard to pass up, I think. And, and it's hard it, and not it's to kick him hospital off. With, uh, yeah, and it's hard to, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that there was, it, it's interesting because he really does get a noble exit, um, considering what was really happening behind the scenes. Whereas like Patrick Dempsey, who also had like some controversy behind the scenes, gets hit by a car. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, the rumor behind Patrick Dempsey is that, you know, of course they weren't getting along. And Shonda said somewhere that, you know, someone asked her if she'd ever killed off a character that when she didn't like the actor. And she said, yes. And so everybody assumed that, that he was the one. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's, I think, I don't even feel like it's up much for debate. It's, it, it's like a hundred percent him. And yet, I mean, he has reappeared in our lives in the past couple weeks. So yes. Oh God. And I think, yeah, like uh, the, for as interesting as it was to kind of delve into some of like the early inspirations of the pilot and all that kind of stuff, like the first few years on this set, just seemed so tumultuous and mm -hmm. crazy that like you read about like all these things that happened in the first few years. So like, let's, let's talk about, first of all, of course, the Isaiah Washington thing, which I think if you're listening to this, you probably know, but just in case. Um, so apparently Patrick Dempsey and Isaiah, Isaiah Washington get into a fight. Washington uses a derogatory term for uh, gay people and TR Knight came out of the closet after that fight. Washington denied using it while at talking at the Golden Globes, um, or was it the Emmys? Is the Emmys, I think. Uh, while talking, press. yeah, while doing press and repeated with the, the whole word. cast with the whole cast, whole cast around them. them. So <laughs> awkward. So that made Catherine Heigl angry. Um, and then eventually he was announced he was not returned to season four. He was angry and he said he's not homophobic and he blamed Patrick Dempsey for being late and then starting a fight. And that's why it escalated to this. And then after all of that happened is when Catherine Heigl withdrew from the Emmy race because she said she wasn't getting good material to be nominated. And then, you know, like it was also said at the time though that it was her material was written that way so she can do her movie so it made her look very ungrateful what and movie then, was that the ugly truth uh actually up? no i think it was probably knocked up and then um george eventually sorry tr knight eventually left the show as well because he felt like he was getting a lack of screen time and didn't feel like there was which a, is true a trustworthy communication between him and Shonda Rhimes at that point. Yeah. So it's like, you know, all of that in a very short period of time. Yeah. But also George is also just came back to the show too. So there is an element and, and the return for George was very special because George, I think it, it, I, I would go out on a limb. There are like three, I, I don't know. There's a lot of, obviously a lot of people die on this show, not just like heartbreaking deaths being just the main characters, like a lot of the side characters and the weeklies are, are tough too. But uh, of, of the big character deaths, I would say George is probably up there. If not one of, I, it's tough. I mean, Lexi and Mark is, you don't even know them. Uh, but George, him coming back in like the season 17 episode three is particularly touching because he did have such a good relationship with Meredith. And you see that in the pilot, even um, that friendship start to form. And in the pilot too, he gets his nickname 007, which is obviously a huge thing when he dies. Double O seven. Double O seven. Yep. A total double O seven. Double O seven. Me. License to kill. Because he, I mean, I'm telling this 
to you only just because you don't know it. But well, he, this is when nobody knew it was him. And then mm-hmm. he like did something. He, puts, that made he writes 007 in Meredith's hand. So it's fascinating because the person that actually gave him that nickname is uh, Justin Chambers, Alex Karev. So who wasn't in the pilot? Can we just talk about that? <laughs> yeah, he was digitally placed in later because he wasn't. I mean, I, I do think that they needed another character um, without like something to bring a little bit of you know, hostility to that, to that group. But it's funny because when character, I think, yeah. But when you look at like some of the shots of like, when they're all sitting there watching surgery and everything, he's just not there, even though like they'll cut to him like being there, but then another shot, he's not there. Yeah. Like the, the continuity of it all is not quite lined up. No, it's not. And like, he did film, he filmed scenes after the fact with, you could tell just very select people. Um, and it, but it adds so much and, and, and just the fact that he wasn't even originally supposed to be in it and then ended up on it for over 15 years is, is pretty incredible. And, and his character and the bond that he forms with Meredith is very, very special. So, uh, it's just kind of funny to think that we almost didn't even have him. Uh, given the drama, all the behind the scene drama, when you were watching the pilot, I, I mean, I, I had a reaction to like, when Dr. Burke is talking with George and they do that surgery together. And he says to him, like, you and I are going to have so much fun together yes. in a really like aggressive way. And I was I just like, that down. Mm-hmm. I, I was said, like, oh, you and I are going to have so much fun together. Yes. Burke saying you and I are going to have so much fun together. And then I put like a awkward face. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, there's a lot of that, even like, Uh, I mean, I thought all of Katherine Heigl's energy was just off the rails. Like I have a thing with Katherine Heigl. I have a tough time with her. Um, And in this pilot, especially, and I was reading, they call her in um, the New York times. They say that she's a lingerie model. Did I miss that in the pilot? No, she is. That, that happens in like episode two or three or four or five. And I'm like, it's when they find her photos or something like that. And yeah, it becomes the whole thing. And I think that like, I mean, I have a tough, tough, tough time with Izzy, but you know, every character is so true to who they are throughout the whole season or the whole series, I should say. Oh, did Um, you roll your eyes a little bit? Like when everybody came into the surgery and was starting to like kind of like before George started the uh appendectomy and they're all like saying like, oh, I bet he's going to be a fainter. I bet this. And they're just like joking around. And Meredith says like, hey, that's one of us down there. Where's your loyalty? And I was like, oh God, what a bummer she is. I know. (laughs) Like everybody's having fun and she just brought it down. Like everyone with irrigate clothes. Open identified. Like everyone with irrigate clothes. He's gonna faint. He's a fainter. Nah, code brown, right in his pants. He's all about the flops, but he's gonna sweat himself on sterile. Ten bucks says he messes up the McBurney. Fifty says he cries. I'll put twenty on a total meltdown. Fifty says he pulls the whole thing off. <laughs> That's one of us down there. The first one of us. Where's your loyalty? That's kind of her though. I don't think she's, she's not one for like a fun, uh, a fun tit for tat. She, she doesn't really join in on that often. Did I, you I, spot the famous guest star of this? I don't think I did. There was somebody who talked to, oh gosh, I think it was Alex at some point. And that person is a star of one of the other shows that we've covered in our podcast. I didn't see it. It was Charlie's mom from It's Always Sunny. Oh, really? <laughs> I was very proud to spot it. I was like, it's Charlie's mom. She's one of the nurses. Every person, every person in Hollywood has been in Grey's Anatomy at some point. Is it like so, the new Law and Order? I think it, yeah. I mean, but actually the amount of people that have been in Grey's Anatomy is, is pretty incredible. And I know so, so many people actually like, seek it out. Like Beanie Feldstein is such a fan of it and was, you know, has recently been able to like achieve her lifelong goal of being on Grey's Anatomy. Um, so, wait, so tell me, talk, talk to me about your problems with Izzy. I'm curious. I think think a lot of it is Catherine Heigl herself. I have a tough time with her and her hair. Uh, the bangs. It's never looked good. It, that's just the point. So that's, is your problem with her or just the hair? Is it, is it, or there, you can't separate? No, either. it's all of the above. Mm. It's, it's from tip to toe. I have a problem. I don't think anyone's ever given her a good haircut and I'll send you some photos later on. Um, I just, with Izzy, like she is so annoying in this show. Like I cannot 
I just can't deal with her. Um, she's just my least favorite. You have to have favorites. You have to have least favorites. If she was my doctor, I would, I, I would ask to see somebody else. That's the Nazi. That the Nazi would be a guy. I thought the Nazi would be the Nazi. Maybe it's professional jealousy. Maybe she's brilliant and they call her Nazi because they're jealous. Maybe she's nice. Let me guess. You're the model. Hi, I'm Isabel Stevens, but everyone calls me Izzy. I, believe- I mean, I think you're not alone based on the way that they talk about her after she left. So, um, you know, after the whole Emmy thing went down and everything, she actually apologized. And I'm going to like read her quote. This is long, but I just I find this this whole story so fascinating between her and how it's kind of come back to bite her and what were her true intentions and everything. So she said, I didn't feel good about my performance. There was a part of me that thought because I'd won the year before that I needed juicy, dramatic, emotional material. And I just didn't have it that season. I was treating it a little black and white and taking it a little personally, but I think there were 12 series regulars on that show and everybody deserved their juicy, dramatic, emotional season. I was really embarrassed. So I went to Shonda and I said, I'm so sorry. That was not cool. I should not have said that. And I shouldn't have said anything publicly, but at the time I didn't think anybody would notice. I just quietly didn't submit. And then it became a story. And then I felt obligated to make my statement and shut up, Katie. I should have just been, it's personal, whatever. And then, you know, so that was her take on it. But then when Ellen Pompeo was talking about it years later in 2013, she said, hurt feelings combined with instant success and huge paychecks started things spinning out of control. The crazier things got as I watched all the tumult with Isaiah and then the Katie thing, I started to focus on the work. Maybe it's my boss and blue collar upbringing. I try not to pay attention to the noise around me, but it's tough. You could understand why she wanted to go. When, you off, when you're offered $12 million in movie and you're only 26, but Katie's problem is that she should not have renewed her contract. She re-upped, she took the big raise, and then she tried to get off the show. And then her movie career did not take off. It's true. Following that, Shonda Rhimes told Hollywood Reporter in 2014 that she has a no high goals policy. <laughs> she said, thinking- I don't put up with bullshit or nasty people. I don't have time for it. That's interesting because I do think Izzy's return has been like a long, like people have been waiting for it for a while. And when Alex left the show to go be with Izzy and, and, and the kid, you know, I think that people were expecting her to show up. Um, And I, I think that that's one person that we can expect to never come back again. Well, it's weird, especially because I did bring back Isaiah Washington for a special episode, right? Like he came yep. back for something. So if if they bring him back and he's full MAGA at this point and they don't bring back Catherine Hagel, then she's worse than she's Isaiah worse. Washington. You're basically saying that she's worse than Isaiah Washington, which feels yeah. a little rough, especially because I do think that we can look back on the Catherine Hagel, uh, you know, storyline in Hollywood where, you know, when she came out and she said that she didn't, you know, she kind of thought her character in Knocked Up was a little bit of a bitch and and women were kind of written one dimensionally. And we basically excommunicated her from Hollywood because of that saying she was ungrateful. And then everybody looks back and said, you know what? She's kind of right, I guess. Yeah, I just don't like her. I wrote, I do not like (laughs) Izzy's energy. (laughs) You know whose energy I love though? And I've loved from day one, minute one until now is Miranda Bailey. I think Mm -hmm. she's perfect and she simply cannot get better like at the risk of sounding dramatic I would die for this woman and (laughs) I just think like she is from tip to toe the very 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 best on the show she I just love her so much she's made some you know like there have been times that I've screamed at her through the tv but you do that for the people that you love and if I didn't love her I wouldn't be saying anything yeah Um, she's another one that almost didn't have that role too because it was written for a blonde little blonde with curly hair the only person in her you know because Shauna Rhimes does colorblind uh writing and instead of writing features she writes about vibes so like when she was casting Denny's character she wrote that he has this feeling that you want to lick him and that was the only description they had about Denny but um but for for uh wait is that accurate I kind of feel like that's accurate that you want to lick him yeah Jeffrey Dean Morgan why not the way he just is always standing there in his blue jeans and his white tee looking lost (laughs) and that's what you do when you find him on the street you're like Denny yeah you would obviously lick a lost ghost Denny (laughs) put it on a (laughs) t-shirt 
<laughs> merch, merch. Um, but but yeah, it was meant. So Bailey was meant to be a, a, a short blonde woman with curly hair. Thank God then, she's not. And when you know, um, Chandra walked into the room, they basically said, "We found our person," and she she's is she perfect. Is she's perfect, perfect role. Doctor Bailey, I don't mean to bother you. Then don't. It's Mr. Jones. Is he dying? No. Then stop talking to me. The way she laid on that bed in the middle of the hallway, I mean, she can do physical comedy. She can do like intellectual comedy. She's the full package. And I just think that she's perfect. I I would have taken, I would have, I would love this to be Bailey's anatomy. And I think that Meredith would accept that too. I mean, she names a kid after her. So what's shocking to me is there's only been one spinoff. Private practice. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, Station 19, kind of. Oh, I guess that is like a new-ish, yeah, yeah. But even still, you felt like that they could have taken any of these characters. And yeah, I mean, there's like show. 75 spinoffs for like 90 Day Fiance. Right, like, <laughs> what has ABC been doing? Yeah, I know. Um, I think that like, they needed that. I, I think that it's one of those things, though, where there's only so much you can do. Well, with that said though, like NBC has Chicago med fire PD, like there is more there, but I, I I think that like they, they knew they had a good thing and Shonda instead probably wanted to develop these other stories with strong female leads, like scandal and, and how to get away with murder. And she achieved it. I mean, there's no doubt that like what she created as like the Shonda universe is probably I can't really think of anything else that compares to it in terms of television. So yeah, it's, it's, it all started with unprecedented. Yeah. I mean, and, and Ellen has enough money in her bank account to, you know, launch however many spinoffs she wants. Thanks to after Patrick Dempsey left, you know, she went to the network and said, you know, you can't use him as leverage anymore as they would before when they'd say, we don't need you. We've got Patrick. And then she mm-hmm. got her big, huge, giant payday and makes $575,000 per episode and $200 million annually. That's not even enough, in my opinion. I've brought it up before. This, compared to the Big Bang Theory cast, is <laughs> criminal. <laughs> it's, cri- I mean, it's truthfully, it's criminal. Well, especially because the Big Bang Theory too, like they were, there were episodes that actually were only 15 minutes long because they just packed them with ads. Yeah, and there's like eight of them. So, I mean, like, because a lot of times I think people could compare, you know, like, oh, this is an ensemble show though, but like, so is the Big Bang Theory and they tell the exact same joke every single time. I got Meredith running up and down hallways and you're paying her half a, half a mil? Can you break? Well, oh my gosh, did you hear the story about the bomb episode? No, no. So I know the bomb episode. The, the famous post-Super Bowl bomb episode. Yeah. She, uh, they were using a stunt person to do it and uh, the stunt person hit her head really hard or, you know, did the whole thing. And then they asked her to refilm it using her and like, instead of the stunt woman. Using Ellen. Yeah. Using Ellen. And she fought it. Cause she's like, I've been on set for like 17 hours. I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. Like, how dare you make me do this? And she did it anyway. She, I mean, she's such a rock star. It was that blue collar upbringing that she refers to. That Boston blue collar upbringing. I mean, it makes me like her a lot because I do as like, as famous as she is, I've been reading a lot of articles about her lately because a lot of people are theorizing that like she's going to leave soon. And I mean, it's been the the conversation for so many years at this point. What would you talk about if, if not like is the grays of Grey's Anatomy going to leave? Um, and she says like, I did this for job stability and a pay, a great paycheck. And of course I think, you know, there was a lot of loyalty to it, but at this point I can't imagine that it doesn't just feel like any other job now for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Which is kind of great. Like clock out. Isn't that like the dream job in Hollywood? Like, I think it would be, I always think like, would I want to be like a Jennifer Lawrence who signs on to do like a franchise movie and then people only know me as Katniss Everdeen well, people don't only know Jennifer Lawrence as that, but like, it, it, you're like tied to this and it's, well, actually, I don't know what I'm saying because Ellen is pretty tied to Meredith Grey. I, if I were, if I were to be any type in Hollywood, I want to be like a Stephen Toblowski, you know, like I am famous, I'm doing well, but I walk down the street and nobody and, knows me. Well, or the people who do know me get really excited to see me mm-hmm. and I'm excited that they know me because it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We both know that thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I just think that like, I, I, I like the, 
the idea of the uniformity of working as Meredith Grey. Like you just come into work, work for what, like three, five, four or five days for filming one episode and then leave. And now she's in a fever dream with COVID and is just walking on a beach. She's just enjoying She's hanging out beach. in Malibu. There are worse things. With I Patrick mean, I- Dempsey again. But I will forever be angry at Grays for killing off Kyle Chandler. I think that was like my I first know. big thing. And, you know, apparently those eyelashes. Would, apparently Shonda Rhimes said that Kyle would pitch other storylines for Dylan, his character. Oh, really? Yeah. He said he, he, he pitched me ideas on how Dylan, his character, could maybe not explode. I would show him the, li- <laughs> the line in the script that said Dylan explodes. That's literally all it said. He was written to explode. She said, I did not expect to have Kyle Chandler. I didn't want to explode him. I I mean, that I agree. But Kyle Chandler did just fine. Like, I don't know. I I think you got to, like, take your wins when you can. Like, he's somebody who went out, like, quite literally in a blaze of glory on the show. And then he had Friday Night Lights. Like, he was fine. But I guess I still, I never got the McDreamy of all of it. And so Okay, but you don't even know who McSteamy is either. I do do know who McSteamy is. He He came in season two or something really yeah yeah he was there before I left for sure and I was always like yeah he's definitely the better one for sure I always thought he was the better one too but I don't know I mean I kind of was I fell into the trap I fell into the McDreamy trap do you see though that when he's doing surgery McDreamy in the pilot he's wearing like a fish cap what do you mean a fish cap he's got a a cap that's got like little pictures of walleyes on them or something (laughs) walleyes it's no seriously so like, it's, just, it's very it's very much like a fashion choice for well, him they all have like little caps I mean Burke has some pretty wild ones too throughout the show but this has fish on it you know what I found was pretty disgusting and I was when honest. he was lying crouched down on the floor at the very beginning no that was weird though <laughs> um I found the appendectomy scene so triggering because I've I have had an iPad. I make it sound like I like it. I've had, I don't have an appendix anymore. I don't know why I'm like stumbling on saying that, but I have never seen it like visualized. And so when I realized that there was a, a point where my stomach was just out like that with a weird liquidy brown stuff on like the iodine on me, I was mortified for six years after the fact that I have been in that position too. And somebody just plopped out my appendix the way that George did. Well, except it wasn't actually real appendix. It was jello and chicken okay. fat. It was jello and what? Chicken, chicken fat. Chicken fat. Yeah, chicken pot pie. They <laughs> just throw that in there. Um yeah, it still was a little much for me because like I, I think I just assumed that like I was fully clothed and conservative during my personal like appendectomy. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, wait, do you want to hear something haunting? Humbling. When I was watching the scene in which they go into her brain, mm-hmm. I thought about how this thing that I had read a theory on, I, I will say this is on Reddit. So take for it as you will. And I'm not a doctor, but apparently an intro. <laughs> apparently uh anesthesia is something that's still kind of like the science of it is still like unclear Mm -hmm. and so there are thoughts that when you are put under anesthesia you're not actually like sleeping during what's going on you're instead motionless and then the anesthesia makes you forget but what about like when you've seen surgeries but well they can't move they're paralyzed basically so you're paralyzed, but then <laughs> you just forget about it. That's horrifying. I also have got a lot of uh, a lot of info about you know possible like aliens and uh, parallel lives and everything. So okay, you know, well, whenever you're ready for those, I, I, I have them on the episode ready. Um, um, I do want to mention something about anesthesiology, though. Mm-hmm. Um, the anesthesiologist in the pilot is actually the actor who later was recast as Joe, the bar owner. He was a regular recurring character um, at the bar. I mean, he went on like a boys trip or something like that to the point where I saw him and I was like, what are you doing there? (laughs) Like, are you just an anesthesiologist by day and own a bar at night? But then I read that he actually ended up getting recast. Um, which I kind of love for him. And then he just disappeared. I think around season seven or eight, he 
they just were like, yeah, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> well, that's sort of like in like law and order that sometimes happens where like some people come on as like one victim and then they come on as a different victim several uh-huh you know, episodes later or several seasons later. So when you were on long enough, you, you just go through actors, I guess. Well, did you actually see the fact that Katie, who is the beauty queen, beauty pageant girl, um, who Derek operates on, uh, is it's the first of her two appearances on the show. So obviously she's in the pilot, um, treated by Derek and her second appearance is in my next life. And she's treated by Amelia Shepard, Derek's sister. Um, and it makes it a 255 episode gap between her two appearances, the longest gap between two appearances in the show, which is pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's the character, like her, her character as, so, I mean, like, it's not just the actress comes back. It's like, she comes back as, oh God, as the poor thing, sister. So she basically is not cured. Well, you know, you could look at it that way if you choose to, I guess, but I think it's just like a nice full circle for Derek's sister. But yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> well, you know, Grey's Anatomy also save lives. Literally. Wow. Because people who watched it learned things from it. So in 2011. Yeah, or uh, it's like awful for you too. Because I watched it and was well, constantly like, I have an aneurysm. <laughs> my head is yes, that's true. And also we don't hear any of the stories about like people who try to do things that they learn on Grey's Anatomy and like fail completely. <laughs> but <laughs> there was a woman who uh, had, a, had was saved after having an asthma attack from a friend that learned what to do on Grey's Anatomy. Wow. And a woman in tw- two, 2017 saved her husband who was having a heart attack. So I mean, I think I could stitcher somebody up. I'm convinced. Well, I read like years ago about how to do a tracheotomy with a pen cap. And so I'm convinced that like, I'm ready to go when that's necessary. Uh, Yeah, I am. I wrote it down, but I wasn't going to say it. I think I could perform surgery. (laughs) It's like when you watch like uh, ski jumping in the Olympics and you're like, yeah, I could probably do that. Um, another thing that stuck out to me was when Derek says, it's a great night to save lives. Let's have some fun. All right, everybody. It's a beautiful night to save lives. Let's have some fun. And that is just like, I kind of got a little excited because that becomes such a tagline for him. And I, I love an origin story. So to see it, even though I always know it as it's a great day to save lives, um, you know, I guess technically it was nighttime and, and I just really appreciated it. And I did have fun saving lives. Well, and little did we know that how to save a life would become such a, <laughs> which such episode a, is that the musical episode? I don't know. I try oh. to black it out. Yikes. I mean, I would like to know how many times that song has actually appeared in the, in the, in the series. What's crazy to me is that this was like a mid season premiere, like, in March. Like, yeah. yeah. Like they didn't really realize it was going to be as big as it was. And then no. like, lo and behold, 16 million people watched the premiere. It's wild. You know, one thing I, I had a, a tough time with was Richard, the way he acts towards Meredith regarding her mother was, I thought kind of strange because he, obviously we know now that he had a, not only just like a, a working relationship with Alice, but he was in love with her. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, they, ha- they have a, a child together. And so the fact that like Richard is so kind of flippant, but then at the same time, I think that like it does, it, it's an Easter egg in hindsight when you see him say, I know your, I know who your mother is. I'd know you anywhere. You're the spitting image of your mother. Welcome to the gang. Because he was there for Meredith's upbringing and it was a, it was a nice moment, but it was, it was surprising to me because of knowing what I know now um, and how deep the relationship goes and how important Richard Weber is to Meredith. Um, it, it was kind of, it was, it, it stood out to me as like, it wasn't as warm as I was expecting, but I guess if this was maybe like him trying to play it cool and not right. play favorites too much. And I did think the reveal of Ellis having Alzheimer's was really good at the at the end because you didn't realize that she was the voiceover which was actually added in in post they felt like something was missing um in the editing room so they added it in later which is crazy because it became such a part of the show was meredith talking to her mom and telling her about her first 48 hours on shift so i made it through my first shift we all did The other interns are all good people. You'd like them. 
I think. I don't know. Maybe. I like them. Oh, and I changed my mind. I'm not going to sell the house. I'm going to keep it. I'll have to get a couple of roommates, but it's home, you know? Um, heartbreaking, but it was, I thought, a good reveal. And and weirdly becomes so important to the show, too. Well, should we go questions? Yeah, let's let's jump into the questions. So the first question, we ask ourselves these five questions every episode um, to see how the episode and the pilot rank. Uh, the first one is, how well did you remember it? Uh, you know, actually, I didn't remember it as, mu- as much as I thought I would have. Like, again, like, I, I thought it was so fun. As a, as a watch and, and so lighthearted and considering I quit the series because like they were trying to make me cry every episode. And mm-hmm. this one kind of felt like, oh no, I want to follow this journey with these people. I really like them. And like, this is going to be a really fun hour every Thursday night. Yeah. I mean, it really does set you up to think this is going to be a fun show. Uh, and it's, it's not, but I, I remember it pretty well, but that's only because I just watched all of it in like 2000 and 18. So it's pretty fresh in the noggin for me. Um, but needless to say, I still loved it. Um, so when in the, in the pilot, Kate, were you your happiest and when were you your saddest? I think I forgot how much I loved George. Like I just Mm. loved him. I remember back then just like, you know, I mean, I'm a sucker for like the nice guy who wants to be friends. That's like, kind of like seems gay, but isn't. I'm George. O'Malley, oh, we met at the uh, the mixer. You had on a black dress with the uh, slit at the side, strappy sandals. Now you think I'm gay? Uh, no, I'm not uh-huh. gay. It's uh, it, it's just that uh, you know, you were. I mean, you were very unforgettable. And, and O'Malley, I, Yang, Gray, Steven. That, that as a character, like I love, like because I always hate will they won't they relationships between people. Honestly, like. Often if there's a will they, won't they, I kind of just wish they wouldn't. And then whenever they have like these, like a couple that like were friends and they're so good as friends and they end up together, I just feel like it ruins it. Mm-hmm. So like, I do love that he's there as like a actual friend, but yeah. so that scene and then the scene with Christina that I was talking about earlier, I thought was really funny. She's just amazing. She um, is. And I mean, like, sad, like we talk about something like this, like when you're sad, it's not because like a bad moment happens, but like, oh, when George had to deliver the news mm. about he died, like, oh, that was so sad. We tried to take him off bypass, but there wasn't anything we could have done. <laughs> what are you talking about? He... Tony died. He's dead. Gloria, I'm so sorry. Just a sliver of what the show is going to bring us later. And speaking to what you were saying earlier, it, it, it was a death sentence the moment he uttered the words like, he's great, he's going to be great. And you're yeah. like, well, that guy's fucking dead. Yep, he's gone. And he's so ch- funny and charming and like, you know, well, look at this marriage. Isn't it wonderful? And then just yeah. kind of like rip your heart out. And it's just such a manipulative thing tactic and I hate it like oh god when they get the two people on the subway pole together that like one has to die and they have to choose which one's gonna die like oh my god that that's that's when I almost left but you didn't no I was I stayed around to lick Denny um I think that I was probably my saddest I was probably the saddest during George like I just that never gets old for me and that is one thing like in the medical field, I cannot wrap my head around. It's okay. The next question is, did it set up the series? And I'll say a hundred percent, like having, although you say no though, because it gets, this is like way more like, no, the tone is, the tone is different, but like 007, uh, Christina and Meredith's friendship, uh, Weber and Meredith. I mean, there are so many like seeds that are planted from the get-go that is kind of just impressive that you're like wow that's still they're still talking about this you know Mm. you wouldn't know (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> um, but would you keep watching Kate? Cause it kind of sounds like you would. No, I wanted to yes. No, like with the, what, the way that it was in the pilot, I, I very much was thinking like, am I misremembering things? And it's actually a lot more fun than I thought it was. But after this conversation, I'm realizing that no, no, that's not the case. And so, no, I'm good. I'm good. Actually. I, I mean, I just rewatched it, so I'm good also, but I think that this is one of those shows that got a lot of attention during the beginning of quarantine because people just wanted something to hunker down with. Um, I don't know why. I mean, I was watching 30 Rock. I was not watching something that was tragic. But there's some element of like other people's tragedies that like allows you to forget your own. But I'll say like, I was pretty convinced that I had like, I was pretty convinced that I had about every ailment under the sun when I was watching this show. And then finally, was it more entertaining than the OC? Uh, no, probably. I think it still probably is not, but, um, I think it was, it's, it's very good though. I think it was more entertaining. I think that, um, I haven't, like, I'm actually starting to like really resent the OC because of this question. And so I'm like, who do you think you are? Way too big for its britches. Who do you think you are? Like you're the OC, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that in general, this was like this was. It, it shocks me that there was a bad review, but maybe it's just because we know what it's become, and I don't want to be on the wrong side of history, like the the reviewer for Slate who said that it needs a defibrillator. <laughs> um, but I think that it was more entertaining, and I loved it. So we should probably tell everybody what what show we're doing next week and oh yeah it's a classic it's a classic and I've got some opinions about it could it be any more classic Uh, we are gonna do friends if that hint wasn't uh didn't come through enough we're gonna we're gonna do friends and the podcast episode will be called the one where they do friends so um (laughs) make sure you tune into that and and until then I'll, I'll leave you with this iconic line I have five rules. Memorize them. Rule number one, don't bother sucking up. I already hate you. That's not going to change. Trauma protocol, phoneless pagers. Nurses will page you. You'll answer every page at a run. A run. That's rule number two. Your first shift starts now and lasts 48 hours. Your interns grunt. Nobody's bottom of the surgical food chain. You run labs, write orders, work every second night until you drop and don't complain. On call rooms. Attendings hog them, sleep when you can, where you can, which brings me to rule number three. If I'm sleeping, don't wake me unless your patient is actually dying. Rule number four, the dying patient better not be dead when I get there. Not only would you have killed someone, you would have woke me for no good reason. We clear? 